0: Hey guys, you're listening to Drunk and Uncultured.
1: We are a drinking problem masquerading as a pop culture podcast. I'm Lindsay. I'm
0: Stephanie. And this is our decade wrap up. Yeah, so uh, obviously you guys hopefully
1: heard our Power 69. Hey. a. <laughs> <laughs> and where we, you know, recapped our year, year so that we could spend this episode and our next
0: episode yes. talking about the end of the decade. Yeah. So we're doing a little bit of a different format. We're going to skip um, the normal either Music Corner or Big um, Watch Update. Big watch we'll update. we'll talking about mm, some of those things, yeah. maybe? Potentially. Um, but we're going to start this episode talking about our Spotify Wrapped.
1: Yeah, so the day that we are recording, not the day you're listening, but like a few days prior. Yeah. Um, Spotify Wrapped was launched. Were, uh, yeah, we uh, saw the Spotify release. Wrapped lineup come out. Yes. Which if you don't know, if you're a Spotify user, Spotify uses its data analytics to...
0: Um, I was going to say it's Big Brother <laughs> analytics, but Sure. Uh, data analytics to um, analyze what you've listened to, how long you've listened to it for, how much of it. Yeah. Um, basically just do a bunch of data, pushing buttons, like beep, boop, beep, boop, to pump out your top um, artists of the year and your top artists of, or top songs of the year, how long you've listened to. And your top genre of the year. Yeah, top genre. But this all year
1: they also did top
0: decade decade if you think about it none of us have had spotify for so that long this is actually going to be something i'm going to talk about later but spotify has only been out for a decade yeah um but yes i haven't i've only had spotify for two years so unfortunately like my decade's not really represented i've of had everything. it
1: for six years okay well but still that's not my full decade whatever regardless <laughs> let's talk about let's do quickly to start this episode off our Spotify wrapped for 2019
0: yeah so we're gonna do our top artists top songs top genre and let's go ahead and say um how many minutes how many minutes okay cool you wanna go first yeah so my top artists of the year um and this is in order so one through five yeah. the most frequently listened to um okay. my number one was Vampire Weekend my number two was Foles number three is Vaccines number four was Band of Skulls and number five was Taking Back Sunday
1: so, my top artists were number one, Fontaine's DC, number two, Park Courts, number three, Interpol, number
0: four, Flasher, and number five, Idols. Um, my top songs of the year, which I'll get into after this, I'll have a, have a mention of something after this, but my top songs are in order number one, Gut Feeling by Peter Bjorn and John, number two, Floridata by Animal Collective. Number three, Harmony Hall by Vampire Weekend. Number four, You Are All That I Am Not by the by Band of Skulls. And Everything Now is number five by Arcade Fire.
1: So my top five were, number one was Token by Panda Bear. Number two was Pressure by Flasher. Number three was Total Football by Parquet Courts. Number four was Espionage by Preoccupations, formerly the new... Formerly Viet Cong. Yeah. Uh, number five was Wide Awake by Parquet Courts. Oh, you got two uh, two Parquet Courts on there. Well, Wide Awake was my number one song
0: of last year, <laughs> so... So, um, I wanted to note that every single song of my top songs is on the Feelies playlist. So if you listen to the Feelies episode, um... We every- talk about a lot of these we songs. We talk about a lot of these songs, and every single one of my top songs um, is on that playlist. Um, my top... songs. <laughs> rock- <laughs> My top genre is indie rock. Mine is also indie rock. And then I listened to 111,000 minutes. And I listened to 62,000 minutes.
1: Um, How did you listen to 111,000 minutes of music? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> okay. Um, so, obviously, we mentioned our just briefly that they also gave us the decade. Why don't we at least just say...
0: Top artists?
1: Top artists. Yeah. I think the
0: songs are... Yeah. Um, My top artist was the vaccines, my number one. They were my number two. (laughs) Who's your number one? Matt and Kim. Okay, yeah. yeah, You told me about that. Yeah. Yeah, So I
1: listen to a lot of Matt and Kim in college, so I get it.
0: That checks out. Um, All right. So now that we've gotten through that, um, let's get into our beer.
1: Yeah. So we already are... Established that we're going to be talking about the decade, so mm-hmm. let's uh talk about our favorite beer of the year because
0: that's what we're drinking tonight. Yeah, I mean, we obviously haven't been able to drink this entire decade, so we went with our favorite beer of the year. Um, it's a staple for us. We drink this pretty much every time we can, or every every time we see it at a bar when it's like it's just a regular bar, oh, not we like get a beer it. bar. Yeah. Uh, we always get this. Uh, it came out this year. It did come out this year. Um, and it is now like a year-round beer for this brewery. Yep. Um, We've talked about it
1: before. You know it. We know it. We love delicious. it. It's still good.
0: <laughs> We're drinking Bodum from Half Acre. Yes. So this replaced Gone Away as their um, year-round. year-round IPA. Yep. So Gone Away you could still obviously get. It's a seasonal. But Bodum's here to stay. Um. Yeah. So Bodum is just like a, it's a piney IPA. It's got a nice like resiny flavor. It's not overdone. It's not It's nice and bitter, which I like. Yeah, it's not like overproduced if that makes sense. Like it's not like they're trying to do anything other than make an IPA. Yeah. And they made a damn good one. Yeah. That's what Half
1: Acre does. Yes. They make happy, delicious and amazing
0: beers. And I always forget how much I love Bo- bodum until you until drink, I it. drink it. It's like yeah. God damn, that's so good. It does have a very clean finish. It does. It's not overly bitter. It's not overly hoppy. It's like a nice. It's got a very good balance of everything. I think it was good that it came out this year because we're right. In, we're still in the heat of the juice bomb yes.
1: craze. And so this is not half, a juicy IPA, for half means. acre to release a citrusy but bitter, resiny dank.
0: It's almost like a easy throwback to drink IPA. It's yeah. a throwback to IPAs that I first had. When I first started drinking beers, and those were IPAs I did not like. It's a throwback in that it has a very similar like flavor profile, where it's not juicy, it's not orangey, citrusy. Or, well, it's got some melon. It's, it's got not, a little bit of berry. It's not any of the, the insanely like ridiculous IPAs. It's very similar to like old school IPAs. Yeah. That you would have bought at the grocery when you were like twenty-one, trying out an IPA for the first time, but done well. Yep. It's like great. I remember trying IPAs when I was. Twenty one and hating them, and they had, like, similar flavor profiles to this, but just not good yeah. versions. And yeah. I think that this is, like, Half very good really
1: perfected the throwback style yes. of IPA, right. as we're calling it now. Um, so I actually like that a lot. So we're going to call this a throwback style IPA. Yeah, it's –
0: because, I mean, I feel like most modern IPAs that brewers are coming out with are, like, let's throw 45 different flavor profiles in here, and this is just a very simple – very amazing nostalgic almost yeah. like IPA. Like it's, it's what I first had when I had an Yeah. I had, was no, I agree. IPAs. Um, <laughs> instead of like all the different experimentations, which I don't hate, but this is nice. Yeah. It's nice. So three words go, um,
1: hoppy, pine. So I was going to say, hoppy, I do like the resiny, because mm-hmm. that's kind of a good way to describe it. And honestly, clean.
0: Yeah. Hoppy. I would say hoppy, resiny, slash piney, um, and balanced. Yeah. I think it's going to be my third. word Ooh, balanced. I like that. We're going to go with that. Sweet. So, let's do this. All right. So, um, so we're
1: splitting this, obviously, into two episodes. Yes. So, we're covering... We're recording, recording. <laughs> We're recording one now. We're going to record the second half at another time. Um but we thought it would be interesting to split the decade cuz there's so much to talk about into sound medium and visual medium.
0: Yes, aka music and then TV and movies. Well, next. music and podcasts. Yeah. So, we are going to cover sound today. Yes. Um
1: Also, we do have a fair warning. We've okay. had two shots of Malord already.
0: Yeah, and two beers. Well, one and a half. I've had one and a half. I've had two and a half. Um, All right. Yes, let's let's get into this. So, in 2010, you were 16, I was 18. Yes. So, very young. Very um, impressionable, I would say. And Um, I think music, that, I think, I mean,
1: obviously music has been a big part of our lives, but I think that's our taste in music
0: has really evolved into what it is over the last decade. Yes, and it's kind of wild to think back at that. So I think it'd be fun to just go into like a brief, a very quick like history of what you listened to in 2010 versus what you listen to now. Obviously, we went to what we listen to now. Yeah. In 2010, I was listening to um, like still some pop punk emo music, like. Pop in general, like Kesha, like Lady... Stuff on the radio. Yeah. Um, I wasn't super into anything other than, like, popular music. I uh, hadn't really, like, explored different genres. <laughs> um, it was really just pop.
1: Yeah, I was kind of at the end of the listening to, like, the scene, kid, emo, yeah. music phase. Because uh, kind of was hard to die. But that's honestly, for me, when I got way more into the alternative music that I still listen to today. Yeah. So... I was listening to a lot of The Strokes, a lot of The Killers, a lot of Franz Ferdinand. Like, that's yeah.
0: that's what I was listening to around that time. So, towards the middle of 2010, um, like, summerish, a little bit before summer is when I started to get more into indie. So And, like, more mainstream indie. It was, like, a lot of Death Cab, Passion Pit. Um, oh,
1: man. I forgot how big Passion Pit was. Passion Pit was
0: huge. Uh, but that was the thing. Like, I remember being a senior in high school and everybody was like listening to um like passion pit and um like newfound glory which like doesn't fit the genre that does at all, not but, fit what you were going for no um, it doesn't but that's that's kind of what we were listening to though like, yeah. it was a, a mix of like starting to listen to indie still yeah. listening to some pop uh, on the radio and then like getting in like getting into other stuff I don't know if I just said still getting into in like still listening to indie, still listening to pop punk, um, getting into indie. I just checked it and there was a song that came
1: out in 2010 that I think really pulled me into the indie music scene. And I still listen to this band regularly today.
0: And it's not the vaccine. It's still, think it's the vaccine. I know you, you started listening to the vaccines like four years ago, five years ago. Um, this is something I would guess. You might. I don't know if you're going to guess it, but you might be able to How it. mainstream indie is it? They're is it Death Cat for Cutie? No. Okay, then I. Is it Madden Kim? No. Because I listened to it.
1: Their first album came out in 2009, so that's not what I'm referring um, to. Iron Island. Pumped Up Kicks. Oh, uh, that came out in 2010? As a single, it did. The album came out in 2011. Interesting. It's when Torches came out. So we first got Foster the People.
0: Really, at the beginning of this. I didn't decade. know that. I thought that was like 2013 or so. The album came out in 2011. I remember being on the radio in like 2012, 2013. But, wow, that's on the radio today I know, That's true. That's a bad example. <laughs> All right, let's get into this like proper. Um, so in 2010, very heavy on pop music. We had that was a huge time for
1: Kesha. Back before she dropped the dollar sign. We had a lot of
0: Katy Perry. We had a, a lot, lot of, of Lady Gaga. Gaga. That was the year we got the Dougie. Was it? Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, it, it was a had, big
1: time for Rihanna. Rihanna dropped the song Cheers. Mm-hmm. Drink to that. Yep. Uh, There's some good Beyonce. Adele was making it big. I think that was Bruno Mars's first album came out in 2010. Okay. Maybe
0: it came out in 2009, but he really started he really to, like, start to, break get, through yeah, in for sure. 2010. I agree with that one. And he's, like, a staple now. Oh, yeah. Um, in 2010, Taylor Swift came out with Speak Now, which um, I want to say was probably her last country. Sure. Ha- um, I don't know. Um, I think it was. Yeah, because, like, the one after that was the one that was, like, with We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together and You Were Trouble, 22. Mm-hmm. That was like when she went pop. So that was her last um, country got album. It. Which is interesting.
1: We got One Direction. Justin Bieber did the song Sorry in 2010.
0: The <laughs> little baby Justin Bieber. <laughs> when he still kind of looked like a child. Like Ellen DeGeneres. I was going to say Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was also like the beginning of the folk rock craze. Yeah, folk indie, folk rock craze. Like, I remember getting super into folk indie and folk rock around 2010, 2011.
1: Yeah, I mean, the first Mumford & Sons album came out at the end of 2009, so that probably would have been their breakthrough time. As, as my notes here say, so much banjo.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was super into, like, the Decemberists and Edward Sharp, the Lumineers, oh, Mumford.
1: Fuck, when did the first Edward Sharp album come out? I
0: loved Edward Sharpe and the Magnetic Zeros. Um, yeah, I mean, of Monsters of Men was pretty folky. Um, Fleet Foxes, n- I mean, you may not agree with this, but I think Neutral Milk Hotel like, is kind of folky. I mean, um, I could... And that's actually like, so Folk Indie and Folk Rock... You realize Neutral
1: Milk Hotel broke up in 99? No, I'm saying that's when I started listening to it. In 1999. No, no, in 2000. Oh. In like the I thought 2000s. you were saying when I started no, no, listening no. to it. No, no, no. No,
0: it's when I started listening to it. It was in the 2010s because of the folk rock craze. Um, and that's really what got me into indie music is like that folk indie uh, craze that happened. Like a ton of banjo. Yeah. Lots um, of banjo. But that I feel like that introduced a lot of people to Neutral Milk Hotel. And um, like that's the reason that Mumford hit it huge. Um, Mumford Edward and Sharks Sons hit it huge. so huge. I think a
1: lot of the bands that came in with banjos,
0: the banjos <laughs> at that time, because that was so different. That those bands have really made it pretty big. They have, and they have obviously like stepped a- not stepped away, but like some of the bands have evolved lately. out yeah. of that. If you think Mumford and Sons, obviously, yeah, their music now they don't record on the banjo, right? I mean, there's some um, like Arcade Fire that was pretty folky, and, like, obviously... Yeah, they're not so they're folky not anymore. They're not anymore. Um, which is interesting. Um, early 2000s also when we had, like, the rise of what I like to call the sad, the sad banger. Um, it's Hollywood 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 sad sad core. Core. <laughs> It's, like, when we got Lionel Ray and Robin, who... Well, Robin's been around since the 90s, right? But she really, really made what, it big, big in 2010. Yes, and that was really... She is, like, the queen of the sad banger. Um, dancing I, on my own yeah it's um calling your girlfriend it's all yeah it's, it's it's a banger but man that shit can be sad um but like hollywood sadcore and i have a i have a quote that i'll read later um if you about, think about it too i mean
1: lord came a few years later yeah. but she also i wouldn't call her the sad banger but she was like an evolution of i mean Adele a was lot of was kind of a sad banger Adele is a sad banger. And it's someone like you came out in 2011.
0: It's interesting that, like, we were super, as, like, a generation, like, in touch with, like, we're... And I think it's partially because we grew up listening to emo music and, like, sad music that we were totally okay, like, being in touch with our feelings and, like, enjoying poppy music or, like, upbeat music that was fucking sad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Adele was
1: fucking everywhere with someone like you. Um... Another artist we got in the early 2000s that I think has been very influential. Staple. Uh, Tame Impala. Yes. I mean,
0: there's nothing else to say. It's Tame Impala.
1: They're fucking, like... Probably one of the biggest bands in the entire world right now. They went from being kind
0: of nobodies to being... Headlining festivals. Headlining huge All over the world. Um... Like, everybody knows who Tame Impala is at this mm-hmm. point. Like, I remember seeing them on a side stage at Bonnaroo in 2013, and then, like, they headlined Lollapalooza. Yeah. yeah, they headlined Pitchfork, they with yeah. Lollapalooza, they headlined Primavera this year, mm-hmm. like... They have really blown up, and, like, a testament to the evolution of music tastes and people, like, kind of branching out in the yeah. 2010s, like... Yeah. And I think that's a big point to make is, like, I remember in the, the 2000s, I really only listened to rock, emo, like, pop-punk, whatever. Yeah. Music. It's uh, still a sub-genre of rock. Right. Level. Essentially yeah. rock. Um, But, I feel like in 2010, a lot of people branched out and tried, like, got into hip-hop or rap if you were only listening to rock or, like, vice versa. Like, there were a lot of cro- there's a lot of crossover in the 2010s. Between people's music. I think a big one taste.
1: between, even between, that it all overlays hip hop, pop, rock, mm-hmm. country, even, is electronic music. Yep. I think the 2010s have been a bubble of sorts
0: of EDM. Yep. um, For a little bit, yes. But I think it's.
1: Still, we've, we've evolved
0: it's beyond evolving, the yes.
1: traditional EDM, but I really think EDM, as we know, it started in 2010. Yeah, I, I agree with you. released his first EP in 2010.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Um, EDM has obviously evolved, but so has indie and so has right. alternative. But I think yeah. a lot of that is a testament to how electronic music
1: has evolved and how uh-huh. it's become more infused and overlaps
0: more with... It does all the other genres. It does absolutely. Like some of my favorite music is like indie alter- or indie electronic. Yeah, same. Um, and like you obviously hear it in modern raps, like modern rap, modern hip hop is very electronic, electronic, heavy bass, um, very similar to house music. Yeah, um, and it's- which house music has been around, but I think at least here in the US,
1: it hasn't become as prevalent as it is now. Agreed. If it wasn't for the Rave scene. Dub. substep, dub- Rave. EDM scene.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And it's really interesting. Like, uh, like I said previously, there was a lot of crossover in our tastes as people, but there's also obviously like a ton of crossover in just the music industry in general. Oh, yeah. Artists bring in different styles. Yeah. To like a previously like unheard of genre. Where, like, yeah. And that's part of the reason that we have so many sub genres now. Oh my God, there's...
1: So many, and I think that genres. that's a huge
0: thing that is happening now. Is like there's house, Trop house. I'm sorry to call it Trop house. There's another trap. There's one called Trop house. Oh, I know trop trap. Trap. No, tropical. No, oh, I've not heard of tropical house. Trop house. Uh, I mean, like punk, post punk, pop uh, punk, indie, indie alternative, electronic, indie, indie. electronic indie, pop indie. Like that's insane. Um, and I think it's just the fact that there are genres. Branching over and like There's so many crossovers the gas. because we we honestly I mean it may have been starting prior
1: to this but it has become Huge. so prevalent yeah. this decade is the amount of
0: crossover of music all I feel like every genre has come so far like this is something I have for later on but like I we can oh actually no this is the next one um, I have the rise of indie and the decline of general alternative so I feel like indie as we know it has like boomed well so indie indie used to be just independent. independent so bands that were independently signed or signed small labels or like independently releasing their music and there been still
1: a, have a lot of that today for sure
0: and i think but we the, still have we now have like a transition from it no longer being independent to indie more being like a genre that like you cannot really define yeah you know it when you hear it but, like, I could not tell you what indie is. I could well, not sit here and define what indie Honestly,
1: is. I feel like in the early two th- or early 2010s, when I thought of, like, indie music, it was, it was a Cat lot of Cutie. Death Cab. <laughs> it yeah. was a lot of the shins. It was a lot of Mumford & Sons. Yeah. Even though they may not have been on big labels, but, like, yeah. that's the sound I think but of. Indie- Even today, like, if you were to say, like, oh, I like indie music,
0: I'm like, oh, so you listen to a lot of the shins, right? <laughs> Which is interesting. <laughs> and so that's kind of what I was getting at, like... The, the transition from indie being, like, independent and, like, yeah. house music having been... Indie, essentially. Whatever that was. <laughs> um, whatever you had to listen to. Whatever you made me listen to. The transition that we've had from, like, these genres is insane. Like, indie is now just, like, legitimately a music genre. Indie used to just refer to a band being independent. And right. now it is its own full-fledged genre with, like, an insane amount of subgenres And... It's so hard like, like I, I is such an umbrella. And I couldn't like I listen to indie our our main genre is indie rock. I could not tell you what indie rock even means. Like I no, could not doesn't I have a I, definition. I, I actually anymore. created a playlist of like indie music and if you listen to it, you're like you could listen to it and be like, This is kinda of folky, this is kind of like pop punk or this is kinda of punky, this is like electronic, and because it's all indie, like there's so much there's it's so different. And in my head, yeah. like if I were to describe indie to somebody, it would just be like, I don't know, it's not on the radio, I guess. Some of it's on the radio. I know that's the point. Like, that's the thing that's so interesting, though, is like indie used to be something that you could describe to somebody. Yeah, like indie. They're independent. They're not on a label, or they're on like a small label.
1: Yeah,
0: indie. I don't know. It's just fucking indie. It's <laughs> it's just indie. It's just indie. I think we
1: can also like talk about the decline of, well, not necessarily the decline, but a lot of the bands in the alternative world that were popular in the 2000s, honestly, kind of, while they have like, they still well, have almost a base. They have a fan base. A cult-like fan
0: base. Yeah. Some of them do. Yeah. So I actually agree with you on that. Because um, if you think about it, the like s- the Foo Fighters. Are, they're is- like dad rock now. Right, but, like, that's a big, in my opinion, like, a big example of, of it. the alternative like, scene. of it. The decline is that... They were huge in the 2000s, like... Oh. I remember everybody being, like... The Food Fighters, Red Hot Chili Peppers, like... The Chili Peppers have gone... Weezer, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> I still love them. I game. do, too.
0: And I think, like, that's what I mean, like, there's a cult, like, following for these bands, but they're not really doing anything, like, noteworthy anymore. Yeah, I mean... It's funny because
1: a lot of these bands get shit on constantly, but they're still headlining music festivals. They, that's
0: an interesting thing. Yeah, they're they're still playing stadium shows like Radiohead. Yeah. I love Radiohead. How dare no, you? Insult I love Radiohead. I love Radiohead. I'm not saying anything bad, but it's like a cult like following. Oh yeah, they're not really like they're not doing anything super noteworthy. Like they're doing fine music. Like Modest Mouse is another one. Modest the music, Mouse. The music is keys. good. Yes. The well, mus- the Black Keys kind of bloomed in the 2010s. The but. music is good they're not doing anything super noteworthy and that's what i think is like the general decline of traditional alternative where we're well, seeing I like more well i think we're seeing
1: an, a fall of like the 90s alternative bands. i think are falling like into
0: 2000s. 2000s yeah
1: because yeah, i would almost say like when's the last time the strokes put out an album agreed and, and i the think killers that, have not done I think we're solid seeing work in a a general long time.
0: decline in like 90s and early 2000s alternative and but an it's uprise the nostalgia in, it is. of those bands. but we're also seeing an uprise of like indie alternative oh yeah and, like, what the fuck that means, I don't know. But indie alternative is, like, what's taking over the general alternative. Yeah, it's... Honestly, I would say the electronic alternative is taking over. I agree with even that. Even more so. Because if you think, think about that. it... Like, mid-2000s, mid-2010s was indie alternative. And I would mid-2010s say... Mid-2010s like was more the banjo alternative. That's the folk alternative. It. I would say, like, indie folk, folk alternative... And then mid 2010s was indie alternative, and towards like the late 2010s, potentially early 2020, is going to be electronic indie. I agree with you. I mean, or electronic alternative, sorry. Yeah. I mean, shit, I think that's definitely the direction we're headed. Agreed. Um, there's also like a miniature um, revival in psychedelic rock King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Hey. Um, I mean, Paula was psychedelic rock for a bit. When they started Pond. Pond. Oh, Pond is so fucking good. I love Pond. Um, there was the whole falling of the emo rock, but rise of the surf rock. rock, Yeah, so, like, I think
1: in the spirit of, like, the independent scene, like, I was... A lot of DIY. It's a a lot of DIY music, and I think that also stems into, like, surf rock, punk rock, post-punk, and even bedroom pop. Yeah. Like, it's about doing it yourself. Like, now we know that you don't need necessarily a label to do well. No. Fuck, you see it in
0: hip-hop all the time. Um, and then this brings into, like, a really interesting piece is the following of emo rock. The only emo bands I know that have done okay went independent. And yeah. started releasing their own stuff. Yeah. And they pr- pretty much cut ties from that scene. Yeah. Which, obviously, we know that there's some controversial, like, toxicity from that. Right. Um... But, like, the whole DIY piece of the scene um, in Indie is, like, super, like, I don't want to say legit, but, like, I think we all consider it, like, pretty legit. Like, it's... There's something about, like, listening to something and it being kind of, like, raw and, like, unfinished that makes it sound super good. Um, And it's enjoyable.
1: I love that in the garage rock and surf rock scene, especially, like... Fiddler kind yeah. of started out that way. Obviously, Omni that yep. we listen to now
0: started out that way. Foles was that way for yeah. a long, for the first two albums. Yeah, first album, realistically. Um, yeah, that like that rawness, that rough around the but edges. But there's also like... been
1: a huge push in bands creating their own labels. Yeah. So I it started in the 2000s, yeah, but I, I think so. you've seen more of it in the 2010s and. It being successful in the 2010s, you don't need a major label backing you anymore. You can have your own record label and still do fine. Yeah, like Agreed. I think that's been the biggest lesson we've seen. Cause and
0: you're almost here. And we are also decade. learning a lot within this decade of how you get screwed over by like signing with a major label. Oh yeah. Um, and what they own and what they control and why it's almost better to go indie labels. Yeah. Um, and some of my favorite. Bands have been on, like, sub-pop and, like, indie labels.
1: Well, I mean, one of
0: my favorite bands of all
1: time has always been on their own label. And they were, like, one of the first bands to develop their own label. And that's obviously LCD Sound System on Death From Above. Yep. So, obviously, that was in the 2000s. But, like, we've seen the success of them being on their own label to them, other artists being on their own label. Did you know Acid Dad... Is on their own label I did not That's interesting So like even small bands Are making their own label Yeah At this point Because they Understand the difficulties Of being signed To a major label And they don't want to be
0: Associated with that Yeah so They
1: just do it themselves
0: Yeah Um And there's like something Really res- respectable about that Like do it yourself Putting it out Putting out what yeah. You truly believe Is the best thing That you could put out Yeah Um And not being influenced By anyone else
1: Exactly I think that's a Big thing We've seen this decade. Yep. Um. I made a note. We saw less butt rock. I don't know what that means. So. I I read that and I didn't know what that meant. So. To me butt rock is like Nickelback. Um, Oh. (laughs) freed. Um. Some Avenged Sevenfold to me is kind of rock. <laughs> I
0: love Avenged Sevenfold too. <laughs> uh, you, so you're you not understand. Not wrong, You're not wrong. Literally, I can say I know, those bands, and you're
1: like, oh, I know yeah. exactly what yeah, that's you're like saying. Shitty rock. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, they're still around, but they were super prevalent yeah. in like the radio the play scene. I think because yeah. of the decline of the general, general. Yeah. I'm doing hand motions. Which to like say
0: I actually don't know if even on the radio because obviously I don't listen to the radio. Um, I do sometimes, and it's mostly... It's bad. Actually, it's actually a lot of what we listen to. <laughs> um, there is... There was a very, very short movement of Bedroom Pop. I wouldn't argue that it's short.
1: I think we and just we got saw overly, very an overexposure of it in the last two years. That's fair. Um, so, like, we saw... Uh, Julian Baker, Lucy Dacus, like, a lot of those types of artists where it's very much meant to sound, like, Jamie. dreamy. Yeah. Yeah. You still get that,
0: that, I think that was a big thing last year and the year before. Agreed. Um, I think it's kind of- We've seen a lot less of it this year. Maybe it's because we've, like, distanced, distanced ourselves purposely.
1: Oh, no. I still listen to all the albums,
0: not as bad. Uh, no, thing. I still listen to um, like Lucy Akis and Julian Baker. I just don't see as much like bedroom. It was huge last year. Bedroom pop in The Year before 2017. Yeah. Last it's two huge. years has been huge. So I think. Which is kind of interesting because I've noticed that like the last half of the 2010s, we have had some very like influential movements that passed very quickly. Yeah. As far as music goes. Like, like bedroom pop was pretty influential and. It went very quickly. It was it was here and it was gone very quickly. I'm not I'm not saying that's going to be gone forever, but we've
1: seen a lot of these like peaks and valleys yes. of different genres yeah. throughout the decades. So, like obviously, like we've already mentioned, EDM had a huge peak at the beginning, yep. which just tur- which is went away and then turned into the house that we know it, which is evolved into other electronics. Yeah, we had folk rock, which, which, has evolved which evolved into. into like, Better In the, pop and involved yeah. into whatever the fuck it is now. Yeah, and I
0: agree with you. That's which is really interesting. It's like I don't know if it's more of a testament to like the millennial culture of not being able to like focus on anything really that long, um, because I know I get things like music styles pretty quickly. If I like, I get very into a music style and then listen to it like only that and then get kind of sick of it. Yeah, um, but I mean, I, there are staples that I do find myself listening to, um, and I think it's really just like. Every now and then, something will offshoot from, like, a general genre. So, like, Bedroom Pop, for example. Offshoot it from, like, regular indie, alternative indie rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really interesting and very easy to get into, very easy to, like, submerge yourself into. And then it got very old very quickly, and so you, kinda, like, kind of came back. It's like like a current that you, like, follow, and then you, like, offshoot a little bit. And then, and then like, it goes to something else, yeah. and then you offshoot exactly. again.
1: That's a good, honestly, I think that's the best analogy for music in general over this last decade. It's like, because, especially because we've been so engrossed in it, because even if you think about like, yeah, in the 2000s, we saw a lot of phases come and go, but I think because you and I have come into like real adulthood this decade, we've been able to like follow it and like really see how our taste in music has Agreed. changed. So I made a note that <clears throat> I I have to talk about this artist because she is... A queen. Yes. And she... I, I think... I'm going to make a very bold statement here, but I stand by it. She is the best female artist of the decade. Okay. And I... You don't have to agree... But I'm not I, saying I disagree. Um, I, think I am that making is... a stake in the ground right <laughs> now. Although we're on the third floor. So I am not making a stake in the ground. <laughs> I'm making a stake in the figurative ground that St. Vincent is the female artist
0: of the decade. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, I think it depends on what you're thinking about.
1: So her, she had two albums come out in the 2000s. But I think I would argue this is one of the best albums of the decade. Uh, Strange Mercy. She is. She's gone beyond music. She has done film. She's obviously a LGBT icon, guitar player as well. Like she's one of the best guitarists that we have seen in our generation. Yeah. And she's collaborated with some of the largest artists of all time. Yeah. Agreed. I really think she's pushed the boundaries for women in the alternative genre. Mm-hmm. She has won Grammys for yeah. Best Alternative Album. She has done some incredible stuff. She's, she's also paved the way for women in a honestly more visible scene because there's been a lot of like very amazing female musicians over the years. She's also paved the way for like a lot of queer music. We've had a huge influx in the last couple of years of queer artists, yeah, especially queer women. Yeah, and I honestly think that Annie Clark has been a huge gateway. I agree for people into that. I agree with that. All so right, I think we need to discuss the. It didn't start maybe as what we're going to call it, but it's
0: evolved, it's into, evolved this, into this movement, the rich man crazy, movement. rich man crazy, um, exemplified by Kanye West and Jack White. So we saw a lot of this
1: rich man crazy probably in like the 80s yeah. a little bit. It's like yeah, I think the sure. first I think the first rich man crazy we saw ever was like Prince. I
0: would agree with that 100%. So like we're seeing a resurrection However,
1: of so some of these rich ar- man
0: crazy Prince was still good music. The rich man crazy that we're seeing now is more of like experimental rich man crazy. I have a ton of money, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want and see what happens. Prince. Prince was still Very true to the music and true to like understanding what was good and what people enjoyed and not just being purely experimental. Which I think that Rich Man Crazy in the 2010s is purely experimental. Let's see how far we can push the boundaries. Let's see what we can get away with. And a lot of the times, it's it's it, it
1: has worked, but a lot of the times, especially within the last two, three years, we're seeing it as it is bad. It's bad. So if you think about it, obviously Kanye West started out doing some very experimental stuff in the rap world, and he's probably most well-known as
0: one of the most innovative artists of the decade. So in 2010, Kanye had... One of his best albums come out, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. That was in 2010? That was 2010. Oh my god, that album is so good. That was November 2010. Then he had Yeezus, which is another one of his like, highly critically acclaimed albums. Jesus. And then we went to Life of Pablo. Yay. Jesus is King. So, I would argue that he... I mean, he's always pushed the
1: boundaries of hip-hop. Yeah. But I would say My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy... Is still within his realm from the two thousands.
0: So that's why, it's and wh- that's
1: why it's a, that's why you actually, forget that that's
0: a twenty ten. That's why you yeah. forget that it was this decade because it is more relatable and it's more like tied to twenty early two thousands Kanye. But
1: interesting fact about that album that was voted, I think, by Pitchfork listeners
0: because they did like a yeah. listener
1: poll as the number one album of the decade. So
0: that was rated by Stereogum as the number two. I mean, actually, we both
1: fucking love that album. Number four, so.
0: still, we both it was love in that the album. top five. Um,
1: it was in the top but five. Even Jesus, I loved. I think Jesus is when he started to depart into oh my god, I have so much money. I can do whatever I want. And people are going to buy it regardless. And then Life of Pablo, I think, was kind of the start of the downfall because that was released oh, solely on title at first. Agreed. And then, obviously, yay. And then this year we got Jesus King, which is, understanding it is his, his lifestyle change, but, like, so- I I would almost argue Jesus King this year is, like, a separate entity. I would say yay is where we're like rich man crazy.
0: None of this makes any fucking sense. So on Cereo gown Yeezus is number two.
1: Oh that album was so good.
0: But I believe My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is like number six or number five. And it's really interesting that like there is that argument about which one's better. Um, but I agree. I think has had like three phases where he had his very early 2000s rap and then which, he went into
1: his evolution, yes. which is why he's so famous now yes, his, for evolving he, him, in, like, evolving pushing evolving the boundaries. The entire slightly, genre.
0: Exactly, pushing the boundaries slightly, evolving the genre with my beautiful Dark Toasted Fantasy. Jesus. I mean he even started that with uh, graduation. I Agreed. think it would be the start. I would agree. And then now it's we're at a point where it's rich man crazy. And um, it's really just like people are gonna buy us. Fuck it, let's let's see how yeah. let's see what I can get people to fucking buy at this point. That's and that's what honestly it feels like. that is I think the argument
1: of rich man crazy in the 2010s. Let's I'm gonna make it. I don't care what people are gonna think; they're still gonna buy it. And then that's what Jack White's doing at this point.
0: God, fucking, and that album the, last year was so rough. That's the interesting thing to me is that's where we're at.
1: So let me we have to talk about similarly we talked about Kanye I would say is the rich man crazy of hip hop. Yeah. Let's talk about Jack White, who I would say is of alternative rock all of rock in general at rock in general, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So obviously
0: he's had insane amounts of projects.
1: Yeah, he's had an insane amount of popularity in the underground scene with the white stripes, and the white stripes actually broke up in twenty eleven.
0: Mm-hmm. And then we had the Raconteurs, Dead Weather, Jack White, um, Solo. solo but if you think about it,
1: Tours were on hiatus for most of this decade. Yes. Up until this year. Yep. Um, Dead Weather has not done a ton. Not really. But Jack White's really done a lot. Solo. As yeah. a solo artist. So, Blunderbuss, his first solo album, came out in 2012. Lazaretto, his second album, came out in 2014. And then in 2018, he did Boarding House Reach,
0: which is where I think we could all, all make ed-
1: make the argument yeah. that that was just rich man crazy.
0: Blender Boss, very good, Lazaretto very good, Boarding House Reach not good,
1: not great. No, it was not. It was a hard album to listen to, um, but. He had so much money because he's got 17 billion projects that he's
0: just making money and he's a record label. And yeah, I mean, and so, and this is like, I think where the rich man craze really comes in is it's not just about music for them. So with Kanye, he obviously doesn't just do music. He has his clothing line. He has, I'm sure like a stake in title or whatever. Like there's a bunch of different entrepreneurs. Jenny White's got a stake
1: in title. (laughs) There's a bunch
0: of different entrepreneurial, um, pieces of their, like, business profile um, where they can do this. Like, Jack White has, a, like, a, a record label. He does, presses his own vinyl. Um, he has a vinyl pressing plant. Right, yeah. Um, so they can't afford to do this because they have diversified their portfolio at this point. Yeah. It's not just music. It's, like, their lives don't just revolve around music because they have they either have a sense to invest in other things or they have the luxury to.
1: So I, I would almost say that's the definition of rich man crazy. Where they've diversified themselves so much into so many other aspects.
0: That like failing in one is not going to destroy their career. And that's rich But man crazy. failing
1: in the music industry is not going to, yeah. to destroy their Agreed. career. I agree. Because if you think about it, other bands are like super duper fucking
0: famous. like and not able to do this. Right. The killers could not do this. No. And that's... It's like rich man crazy, but also like smart rich man crazy. Right, too. Like, that's they were what smart, it is. There were smart guys to diversify enough and be able to give themselves the freedom to fuck around and do whatever they want. Right, so I think...
1: I mean, those are the two I think that we can think of specifically. Agreed. But I, I
0: guarantee there's Those others. are the two that like really come to mind as soon as you say yeah. Yeah, like rich, rich man, man crazy. crazy.
1: I mean, we mentioned Kanye. Let's talk about hip-hop. and rap in the 2010s so obviously this decade we saw a huge rise in a lot of political rap that is both um argumentatively charged but also easy to listen to it also has a positive message a lot of the times for the African American and people yep. of color community. Agreed. But we also saw a rise in SoundCloud rap and that's back to the DIY yep. scene.
0: So let's cover the political, yeah um, like influential rap side first. I'm a very on board for this discussion. Let's So do it. I think the biggest artist that we have talked about is Kendrick.
1: Absolutely, Kendrick Lamar. His first album technically came out in 2010, but I think he's the most well-known coming out Mm -hmm. for Good Kid, Mad City, which came out in 2012. Yes. And I think that's really been the start of the rise of his career. Because if you think about it, in this decade, I mean, beyond the fact that his first album came out this decade, we had Good Kid, Mad City... To Pimp a Butterfly, Damn, and then all of his contributing work on the Black Panther album.
0: Yes. Um, and all of his music is so, like, it's very uplifting. positive and it's uplifting yeah. towards the African American community, towards really anyone that listens. Like, it's, yeah, he has been so open about what it is to be a black man and to be, like, in America and not be white. Yeah, um, And it's, I feel like listening to his music and the reason, part of the reason that he is so influential and so, um, notable and is constantly like in the running for best, best of album, the year. best, best artist, artist of the year is yeah. because he really broke boundaries where he, he wasn't just rapping about superficial things. He was rapping about ideas. He was rapping about, um, like experiences and he was really like opening up people's eyes to what it was like to, what it is like yeah. to be a black man, black person in America yeah, and to live that life. And, and part of it is, like, it's accessible to people that are not black, but it's also relatable to people that are. So it really bridged the communities where yeah. like, people could identify and then people could also, like, listen and understand. Because, honestly, like, if you think about it before... This decade, and before
1: Kendrick, the only, like, obviously we had Kanye, but, like, my mind immediately flashes to Jay-Z and Eminem. Yeah. Which is?
0: White. One is white.
1: White. (laughs) I hate Eminem. He, like, the white, overly aggressive rap, and then you had Jay-Z, which, while he changed the game for rap, a lot of it was about it seemed to feel like it was about superficial yes. things because that was the trend in the 90s that and was the early the 2000s. 2000s yes
0: and what we see in rap in general in the 2000s it's 10s, much more raw it's much more raw so we have Vince Staples rapping about politics and racial um diversity and just general like like racially charged messages like the one of the most racially charged shows I've ever been to, yeah, was Ben Staples. Even um, more
1: interesting, mostly white people attended.
0: Yeah, which is super interesting. But like that's Kendrick has paved the way for this. Oh, absolutely, I agree wholeheartedly. Kendrick, I, mean,
1: I I would say Kendrick Lamar has a hundred and ten percent changed the game for the rap community. Agreed. And in then yeah, the run the
0: jewels. Oh, Racially oh. charged, oh. Oh. which is interesting because, like, obviously Killer Mike is black, LP is white, and they're from very different parts of the country. LP is from New York, yeah.
1: Killer Mike is from Atlanta, exactly. A very, very different, different. worlds that um, have come together to really make this positive really talk and aggressive,
0: in-your-face music that's meant to almost slap you in the face, slap in the face with the reality of what is going yes. on. It's the rap game right now is no longer painting a picture of what is like what people want you to think and what like you want what to the think. idealism is exactly. It's, about, it's really this, like, is this, this is what's happening right happening. now, <laughs> exactly. And I think that's insane that like we have gone from painting like um, a photo, fo- like a superficial picture, photo almost, exactly to this is what it's like, this is what's happening right now, do fucking do something about it. If you yeah. are a person and you care about anything. Do something about it. And that's what we've come to. And I think it's I think it's incredible that Kendrick has really paved the way for that to happen. I would wholeheartedly say Kendrick Lamar
1: has paved the way for this style of yes. music. I also think we need to discuss... I mean, I'm sure he's going to come back up again before we finish this. 100%. Tyler, the creator. Yes. So he has... I think the most interesting thing about mm-hmm. his journey... Which I also think is very relevant to the last decade mm-hmm. is a lot of his music started off a little bit kind of homophobic, yes. a little bit uh, aggressive towards women. Yes. And then the more his music evolved,
0: we've the learned. The more he evolved as a person, his music he has, has evolved been more and he's been
1: more open, and we have learned that he is a bisexual man. Yes. Over the years. In the beginning of the 2000s he was banned from
0: playing in certain countries because his music was too aggressive towards women. Yeah. And he has, and he's in general kind of like an aggressive person, but like not in a bad way. He's I would like, not argue in a bad way. He's not aggressive. He's more like, he's more this is who face. I am. Yeah. I'm in your face. But he has evolved from being aggressive towards women, homophobic, to being more open and accepting that piece of himself. Yeah. Where like you can, if you listen back through like Tyler, you we kind of if you know who Tyler is well, now... if you listen now, through, like, Yonkers, through Wolf, yeah. like... If you know who he is now, and you listen backwards, you kind of realize that he's trying to hide this piece yeah. by being and aggressive. he's
1: openly said that.
0: Yeah. Um, which is interesting. And then... I mean, I respect it. I love Tyler. I love Tyler the Creator. Igor is one of my favorite albums of this decade. It's such an incredible of this album. Um, I mean, I would like, argue Flower Boy for me. So... I would I would have argued that what? up until like a month ago. Let's come back to this. Yes, okay, <laughs> we, yeah. we can argue this. We can argue this. Um, the next one we want, I want to get into for rap is Nicki Minaj. Yeah, so I would at least like to just quickly touch on it. Like, has changed the game for women rappers. Absolutely, we wouldn't have we A-Zalia, had we a have lot. Iggy alias does not make good music. She doesn't, but, like, she wouldn't have had a chance if it wasn't for Nicki Minaj.
1: So, I would argue there were some musicians in the 90s and early 2000s that really, like, were women rappers, but I honestly... I wholeheartedly really agree that, hard. like, Nicki Minaj being a part of the Young Money crew with Lil Wayne, yeah. I
0: really think changed the game for women. Like... They wouldn't have gotten a chance if Nicki Minaj hadn't. At least in this decade. In this decade, yes. So, if you think about it, interesting point. The
1: song Bedrock, which is where Nicki Minaj Minaj had not had her own album come out yet. The song Bedrock, Mm -hmm. you remember that one, came out in 2009. Nicki Minaj released her first album. In... 2010. So, that's literally, like... Her first album came out January 1st, 2010. Okay. That is the pivot... Yeah, that's exactly... music this this decade. Our first... One of our first albums of this decade was literally Nicki Minaj. Coming in your face. Because if you think about it, this album had... So many huge songs. She worked with Will I Am. She worked with Natasha Benningfield. She worked with Kanye West, which were huge artists in the early two thousands. And if you think about it, honestly, Super Bass is still one of the most famous songs mm-hmm. at the end of yeah. twenty nineteen. I agree with that. I really think that in this decade. As much as I may or may not like her, how her music has evolved, I think she has been the forefront of the female rap movement this decade. I agree.
0: And I don't love her as a rap artist, but I ha- you have to admit that you wouldn't have female rap music. I don't know that we would have the same kind of artists her. we do right now if it weren't for Nicki Minaj the way. I agree with that. All right. Uh, unfortunately, we have to keep pushing through. <laughs> um... We have to cover one-hit wonders, (laughs) so I made this note today. I wanted
1: to talk about one-hit wonders of the decade, which I would say I in parentheses I said or maybe not, depending on how you look at it, because some of these artists to us are not not at all one-hit wonders, but maybe one of these. But some of these, yeah. In the mainstream world, which you guys have to remember, like, we talked about this with St. Vincent earlier, what we think is not
0: necessarily the mainstream. Right. We live like, counterculture, technically. Yeah. On the outskirts of mainstream. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say we're counterculture. We're not but, counter-culture, I would say, but we we're on, on the, the outskirts, outskirts of yeah. the mainstream. We do not identify or fit in with mainstream media, mainstream pop culture. So, that being said, um... I don't know that anybody like continually listened to any of like the dance move hits. But there were a lot of dance move hip hits.
1: <laughs> there were a lot of dance move hips. Dance move hips. Name so. of my next album. <laughs> so, if you think about it, there's... Every decade, a lot of the one-hit wonders are associated with a specific dance move type thing. It's so like we had the Dougie, we had the Whip and the Nay Nay. Yep. <sighs>
0: we had like Harlem Shake this year. Or not this year, this decade. Do you remember the Harlem Shake challenge? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. The oh. Running Man challenge. Like stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> there was also obviously Gangnam Style
1: we got mm. this decade. Which nope. I actually forgot about until I, I did do research on this. I did too.
0: I did too until... I started doing research on this. Um, I mean, obviously, we all know about what does the fox say. What does the fox say? We had um, <laughs> "Despacito." That we song know, like, is still great. I mean, we listen to it as a joke, not right well, because I mean, it's like legitimately good. But um, <laughs> but there's a lot of songs that were
1: obviously like super popular so i did do research mm-hmm. on what wikipedia calls a, a one hit, one hit wonder. wonder it had to be cited as a one hit wonder by at least two other sources okay so you can't just like type it in and like edit it yourself like it's it is pulled from billboard it's got to be on a billboard hit it's got to make the billboard charts and then it's gotta be cited as a one-hit wonder on other sources. So, I mean, throughout the decade we've we've had a couple big like celebration party songs. Yeah. If you think about it, we had Barbara Streisand by Duck Sauce, which they have not done shit since then. They had other songs.
0: So it's but. funny, because this is a list from Medium yeah. of, like, 20 times one-hit wonders, and I forgot, like, 50% of these until I listened to them. Um, I was like, oh, I forgot about this song. Like, I, I was like, I don't know this song. No, no I do. do. Oh you do. You do. You just forgot about it, because it was a one-hit wonder. You remember uh, We know, Speak Americano? I do. I do. <laughs> um, Too Close by Alex Clare.
1: He played at my very first
0: Lollapalooza. (laughs) Uh, I think this is probably the most famous one-hit wonder of the 2000s. I would
1: would argue it is, but also it's one of my favorite musicians (laughs) ever, so I take offense to this, but that's just me. It's somebody that I used to know by Gautier and Kimbra. (laughs) I have a... uh, For the listeners...
0: I have a signed Gautier poster in my living room. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This list also has Hosier uh, take me to church. I don't think Hosier is uh, one hit wonder.
1: I don't think so, but I would say... Well, we also saw him at Lala, I feel like. Yeah, but we saw Portugal the Man at Lala, and they've made the list. (laughs) Not this one, um, but they've
0: made other lists. Um, I've seen
1: faster the People. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's fair. I don't think Josier is, is, um... Oh, but my, I would right, argue my opinion. that Take
1: Me to Church is going to be his most famous oh, song 100%. for all
0: time. I agree with that. I agree with that. And in the mainstream... Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, and that's, like, a very interesting... Like we talked about this earlier. Like, in the mainstream, yes... And it's really interesting being on the outskirts of the mainstream because we listen to a lot of these artists. Like, like I, love regularly. I love Hosier. I love. We just
1: saw Hosier
0: at yeah. Lollapalooza,
1: and his set was incredible because yes, his it was. new album "Wasteland Baby" came out this year. And we loved it.
0: Yes, and his it's self-titled. just so
1: interesting to see. The dynamic that we have to obviously admit that's here between
0: yeah. us and the mainstream mm-hmm. mainstream media media yeah agreed um and it is very, it's really interesting to like see Hosier put be put on here as a one hit wonder when like obviously I know like every single one of his songs I've seen them do not times. come at me about one hit wonders no I know it's it's it's, it's interesting um, we, saw, we have- talked about Harlem Shake um.
1: I found the fact that on this medium list, Milky Chance, Stolen Dance was on here, because at the same time this song was popular, they had another song on the radio. Um, X's and O's by L. King. Was
0: that 2014? Yeah, that song's old.
1: I did not know that. I understand we just saw her last year. I didn't know that song was that old. That sounds old. I didn't know that. Um... um Watch Me Whip slash Nay Nay, we know that. And then Despacito. Yeah. Um, Despacito's more famous now because it's a meme than anything. But other songs within this decade that have been considered a one-hit wonder are... I'm going to get very angry and heated about this. Midnight City by M83 is considered to be a one-hit wonder. Really? M83 is one of my favorite bands of my adulthood. They are considered to be a one-hit wonder. Portugal the Man has been identified as a one-hit wonder for "Feel It Still." We're gonna circle back to this. Yeah, we are. So we're not gonna have this discussion now. But that—that that is the kind of artists that are considered one-hit wonders. And but that's also fine because money.
0: we live on the outskirts. So, like for but us, it's not
1: a one-hit wonder. Yeah. I would argue, like. I know a lot of people from the that how many Portugal the the,
0: '80s, but how many that, of the Man songs do you hear on the radio ever? None. I don't listen to the radio. Okay, but like regardless, <laughs> if you ever listen to the radio, you can pretty Field much Still. only ever hear Field Still, and that's I think the point is like for the mainstream people, like community people, they listen to the radio. So what is a one hit wonder to you is what you're listening to on the radio. So they're never gonna hear like anything other than. Pumped, pumped up, so, kicks. Or like pumped up <laughs> kicks or midnight city um yeah i think that's just like that's how it is
1: i mean i understand like, but 80, i 80 i was gonna say is like not
0: a thing to like the mainstream
1: so i was gonna actually make a comment that like i think i finally understand when like you look back at like 80s one hit wonders yeah. i understand what the
0: rest of society felt like yeah because they weren't one hit wonders. No, because, not to them. So, like for us, we like if you like a song by a band, you're gonna go check out the rest of the album, and um, like 100. Right. There's almost like a hundred percent chance of you liking at least one other song. Like there are very few bands where like I heard the song and I liked it, listened to the whole album, and that was the only song I liked. That's very rare. Normally- and that's I think what is the issue with one hit wonders when you listen to them outside of the scene is you don't ever try that. You yeah. don't ever try to listen to the whole album. You just know that one song. And I think we'll come back to... I was going to say that I think this has a lot to do
1: with streaming culture. But yeah. we'll, we'll circle back on this. Let's finish up the discussion we had. And then we'll circle back on streaming culture. Um, I actually music.
0: think we are pretty much done until we get to our like individual thoughts. Let's cover our... Songs, artists of the decade,
1: and then we'll come back to streaming and sure because that's obviously been a huge thing. And then, yeah, quickly cover podcasts. Okay, I think we have to talk about that. Um, you go first. Okay, so I just made a couple of thoughts about my artists, songs, and then I would like to talk quickly about my shows of the decade. So I think we should trade off on these. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, that'll be. I think it's the best way to do it as well. Let's talk about our artists of the decade. Okay, you have to pick five. I okay. don't give a shit what your Spotify says. Sure. You have to pick
0: five. So I will pick five that I have listened to through the decades. Yep. My Spotify, like I've only listened to Spotify. I've only right. used Spotify for the last two years. Right. We've talked so I think about it's this. not re- it's not reflective. Um. You go ahead. You go. You start with yours. Okay. So I'm gonna go with five. I
1: would say Gorillaz. Hmm. Childish Gambino. M83, Daft Punk,
0: and um, and Portugal Demand. So, Foles, absolutely, obviously, the vaccines. Um, Taking Back Sunday. Interesting. It's always like I love Taking Back Sunday a lot. Um, Modest Mouse, and Tyler the Creator.
1: Tyler, is if you're one artist of the decade.
0: My one artist of the decade is like if you could only pick one <laughs> artist to represent the decade, who would you to pick? To represent the decade? Um We'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> Back to that final, final thoughts. <laughs> that could be final <laughs> thoughts. No, let's talk about that like in a little bit. Okay. Um top five songs. Top five songs. Get lucky
1: by Daft Bunk and Pharrell. Runaway by Kanye West and Pusha T, Dance Yourself Clean by LCD Sound System, Midnight City by M83, and
0: Alright
1: by Kendrick Lamar.
0: So I would say um, Midnight City by M83, Type My Number by Foles, also All tight. My Friends Are Falling in Love by The Vaccines. Aww. That song hits me so hard, and I love it so much. Like honestly, like transcends so much. Um, I love that song. I love that song so much. Um, Evil Eye by Franz Ferdinand. That's twenty eleven, yeah? Uh twenty twelve? Twenty thirteen maybe. Um.
1: I'm I'm double checking for you so that you don't just say this. No, no, I checked already. Uh,
0: 2013. Yeah. Um and The Less I Know the Better by Tame and Paula. Top five albums of the year. Okay, okay. Um
1: Black Star by David Bowie. Uh-huh. That was obviously the final album before he died. AM by Arctic Monkeys. Okay. Hurry Up We're Dreaming by M83. Okay. A Seat at the Table by Solange. And then Strange
0: Mercy by Saint Vincent. All right. So, I would say Igor by Tyler the Creator. Ty- I fucking ty- love ty- that ty- so ty- much. It's so um, good. Holy fire by Foles. Um RTJ 2.
1: Ooh, by Ron the
0: that's a hot take. Um was that 3? Mm-hmm. Two more. Um ooh, fuck. I like it when you're asleep for you're so beautiful yet so unaware of it. By The 1975. And then, um, Hurry Up, We're Dreaming. Ah, fuck. It's, like, really tight between Hurry Up, We're Dreaming and Big Fish Theory. Um, honestly, I lean toward Big Fish Theory more than Hurry Up, We're Dreaming.
1: Um, real quick. So, we did albums. Do you have five shows?
0: I... Fuck. Alright, um, so... My favorite show on the entire decade was seeing... The Flaming Lips at St. Augustine Amphitheater. Tight. That's um, sick. I don't remember what year it was, but it was like right off the beach. I think it was like 2011, 2010 maybe. Um, that was one. Um, they have to be in order. Okay, okay. whatever. Cool. Whatever you just cool. think of five. Your five. My favorites. Yeah. Um, Matt and Cam at Bonnaroo. It was a lot of fucking fun. Modest Mouse at Shaky Knees. Um, that was another favorite Because they played, the the set list was incredible Do you know what year it was? I want to say it was 2014 Okay, 2014 or 2015, I can't remember which which year Um, I think it was 2014 to be honest Um, what is that, 30? Yeah, Um, uh, you did Flaming Lips Matt and Kim Matt and Kim, Modest Mouse Mouse. Um Foles Foles at a church in Florida, like 2016, I believe. You saw them at a church. It was like not an actual church; it was like a reclaimed church. To oh, okay. Venue that was amazing. Um, I got to the pit like at the end. It was so much fucking fun. The vaccines do not make your top five. Um. Yeah. No, the vaccines at Shubas. Yeah, the vaccines at Shubas. Number five is The Vaccines
1: at Shoebuzz with you in 2018. Number four is The Cure at Lollapalooza in 2013 when I got to go backstage. Number three is David Byrne at the Fox Theater in Detroit in 2018 with my dad. Number two is LCD Sound System at Pitchfork in 2017 when I made friends with a bunch of 19-year-olds <laughs> and we all held each other and swayed and cried. Number 1 is probably when Steve and I went to the Portugal the Man after show for LCD Sound System at Stubbs Outdoor Amphitheater. Okay. And were it was literally the five guys from Portugal the Man it was right before Woodstock came out, so they were playing songs off of Woodstock,
0: uh-huh.
1: but it was very chill, it was very low-key, and I was
0: absolutely drunk out of my mind. Okay. It was amazing. I love so it. So, before... Actually, let's get into this last one, so I think this is the last one that we're yeah. going to talk about. Is our artist-slash-musician of the decade. Portugal Man. So, I have two. artist of the decade is jack antonoff for his producing work because he is honestly
1: he's done a lot between fun
0: and bleachers and anything he's done production wise so i totally get that so jack antonoff as a producer has done some um incredible stuff um he produced (sighs) fucking blanking i believe he produced mass seduction he did um, I believe he produced some of Taylor Swift's stuff. He worked with Lord on her newest album. Yes. So, he produced, um, Fun, obviously. He produced, um, the song How Come You Don't Want Me by Tegan, T- Tegan and Sarah. Um, produced Bleachers, Out of the Woods, I Wish You Would, You Are in Love by Taylor Swift. Um, I know the song Out, Out Run- of the Woods, by the way. Help Me Run Away by St. Lucia. Ooh, I love St. Lucia. Um, like, pretty much all of Gone Now by Bleachers. Yeah. Produced pretty much all of Melodrama by Lord. So he produced a ton of Mass Seduction by St. Vincent. So, like, pretty much all the singles. New York, Mass Seduction, Happy Birthday Johnny, Sugar Boy, um, a ton off of reputation by Taylor Swift. Look what you made me do.
1: That's actually news to me. I did not know he
0: produced Taylor Swift. He produces a lot of Taylor Swift, actually. Well, what uh, produced Norman TV. Fucking Rockwell by Lana Del Rey. I loved that album. Um, produced Arizona Baby by Kevin Abstract. Ooh, um, too. pretty much all of Lover by Taylor Swift. Um, so, like, as an artist and as a producer, really came into his own in the 2010s, um, and produced a ton of shit, and a ton of, like, critically acclaimed shit. So, So I... Arts of the Decade, for me, is Jack Antonoff, because of his producing, and, like, I love bleachers, I love fun. I love fun. Um... Fun was, like, my college band. Like, if I'm combining everything that he's done, it's Jack Antonoff. I have a different musician of the decade. Your musician of the decade is Portugal the Man.
1: Yeah, so... I'm arguing Portugal the Man. In the de- the last decade, they have had four album releases. They had American Ghetto in 2010, mm-hmm. in the Mountain in the Clouds in 2011, Evil Friends in 2013, and then Woodstock in 2017. So, to me, I I think the most Influential album that I have ever experienced in a something that has like drastically changed yeah. my life, I would say is Evil Friends in 2013. I did not know oh, who please. Portugal the Man was, yeah, in 2010. So, and Portugal the Man in 2019 is the band I have seen the most times live. Um, I got into Portugal the Band through In the Mountains of the Clouds. For me, they are the artists of the decade. Got it. I think they have come from obscurity and made some incredible music Mm -hmm. and then continued to grow and then have continued to become, which unfortunately, they are considered to be a one-hit wonder of the decade. For the song, Feel It Still,
0: obviously off of Woodstock. Um... I am actually going to go differently than I thought it was going to. Ooh, we've obviously talked give me, about... Gimme, give gimme, give gimme. We've talked about um, Kendrick Lamar. We've talked about... Um, like, Jack Antonoff. we talked about like some really great artists. I am going to pick Vampire Weekend as my artist of the decade. Get the fuck out of here. The door is that direction. So, I don't know if you know this, but Vampire Weekend has had three out of three albums that they've released this decade be number one. So, Contra, um, Modern Vampires of the City, and Father of the Bride were all number one albums of this year. Vampire Weekend has fundamentally changed what I listen to. Like, they were some of, like, one of the first indie bands I ever listened to fundamentally changed, like, the music genre that I listened to. Three, I forgot Contra was 2010. Honestly, that changes the Vampire Weekend game for me. Three number one albums this decade. Three out of three number one albums this decade. Um, I don't know. Like For me, Vampire Weekend is a staple indie band. I, I agree. One of the indie bands that completely like changed the music st- style and music genre that I listen to. Um, and we've obviously- always <laughs> Sorry, that always happens, guys. I don't, we always cut it out. Nope. That always happens. It's, you're going <laughs> to have to re-record that. No, it's David. Um, I would pick Kendrick, for sure. I would pick Kendrick, but we've talked about him. And I Wait, feel like... so we still have to discuss
1: who I think is the artist of the decade that's not, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. So, like, that's what can bring the Kendrick.
0: Yeah. Um, but for me it's Vampire Weekend. Vampire Weekend for me is my artist of is my artist of the decade. And like the artist of the decade. Um, I do wanna quickly touch on women what? artists yes. of the decade. Let's do it. Um this past decade in the twenty tens, we have seen a like an Upsurge in women feeling empowered through women artists. Yep. So specifically like Ariana Grande, Thank You Next, Lizzo in 2019, like Truth Hurts, which is like a much older uh, song yeah. from twenty nineteen. Listen, like I saw huge. Lizzo
1: in twenty eighteen dance her ass off in a Sailor Moon costume to Truth Hurts.
0: So Joe and I dance our asses off Lollapalooza. Lollapalooza yeah, 2018. to Lollapalooza. at um, so, like, Lizzo, Truth Hurts, Beyonce, all of Lemonade, where she talks about, like, infidelity and, like, not being adequate, which, like, everybody was, like, Queen Bey, and she comes out with Lemonade, and it's- Also, if you think about it, in this decade,
1: Beyonce did Four, mm-hmm. which is one of her most popular yep. albums. She about dropped, their- her
0: self-titled.
1: Her self-titled came out in 2014, and then
0: Lemonade. Yeah. Um, this decade was a huge decade for women empowerment Agreed. where like women, we're, we were no longer competing against each other. We're no longer like fighting for a spot. It's it was no longer like, who is like the queen of music. Yes. It's more about like, I identify with you. You're a fucking queen. You're a badass. Like I, other it musicians were supporting was each so other. Much, and I was, think there was so much support.
1: I think because other musicians have been so heavily supporting each other and talk, because musicians are like now talking about their real experiences, Mm -hmm. that it's more relatable for us as listeners, but also seeing them collaborate with each other and be like, yes, I love you. I love you. I love all of my women. It's no longer
0: a spot where you need to say like, I don't like this artist because I like this one it's like no you can like both of them yeah and you can like them both equally because yep. you don't need to pit them against each other right it's no and longer about really what we're seeing in this decade
1: m- well so like we grew up with Britney versus Christina right.
0: versus who the fuck ever but like for sure it's, that's up- not a thing anymore yeah. and like later in our teenage lives it was like there was Paramore and like, like other female fronted Email bands that we we couldn't like because they were the anti of the whatever. And we are hitting a point where, like, we are really embracing and indulging in these women artists that are supporting supporting each other and they're fighting for us and showing us what we deserve. They're also encouraging
1: other. Women that uh-huh. are listeners to support one another, yep.
0: which I think is the first it's not, time
1: we're really seeing this in it's a long not time.
0: Us versus them. It's yeah, like everybody holding hands, saying like, "I, you don't because you like me, you don't need to not like her. Like you right. can like you can like all of it. You can like everybody. Uh huh. And I think the women artists we've
1: seen have really made it cool.
0: Yeah, agree.
1: So obviously, like. We've seen Beyonce go from, like, super in love albums to dropping really emotional, like, understanding of her going through emotional problems. Like, it's making her more real. We've seen the same thing with Ariana Grande, where she's made music that is very female forward, but also kind of argumentative towards guys she's dated. Agreed. It's not it's no longer about who we're against it's about how do we make this together I would and I would say that's a big thing for the decade like we talked about collaborative music and the spanning of genre I agree with you on that We have to and it's going to
0: be a lot shorter because it, it's going to I be last the next 5 minutes maybe <laughs> Maybe the next five minutes. We do this. And we are a podcast and we have to talk about podcasts. We have
1: bit. to mention the rise and stagnation, and a little bit stagnation of the
0: podcast. Yes. So um, obviously podcasts are basically like radio channels, radio stations that you can listen to. Um you're saying this on a podcast. I'm saying this on a podcast. Um
1: we, What's the first podcast you remember ever hearing about?
0: Ever hearing about? Um I don't know. Honestly, I don't think I can tell you. Maybe like some true crime something.
1: So the first time I remember hearing about a podcast um it started in, honestly, it's This American Life. Okay. It's the first one I remember ever hearing about, which actually started as a radio format in the late 90s, but really the podcast form
0: itself started in, as we know it, like in 2010. Uh-huh. I mean, podcasts are just basically, basically internet radio. Yeah. And it it got to a point where, like, I mean I think everybody listened to like morning shows and talk shows on the radio yeah it got to a point where like you could pick what you wanted to listen to, yeah and that's the rise of podcasts where like you decided what you were interested in you subscribe to it and you listen to it on the on the internet instead of on the radio yeah um and that's really how podcasts came about and I mean obviously we we've, obviously been, doing we've this. been doing this for two years yeah we did this because We're millennials, and millennials do podcasts, apparently. Uh, We thought this would be fine, but... Which it has been. It has been, yeah. No, (laughs) this is fine. Um, 100% is fine.
1: What would you describe as the podcast that got
0: you into podcasts? So, the reason we... And I don't know if anybody knows this. The reason we started this podcast was because I started listening to to podcasts in general for the first time about two and a half years ago when Stephanie and I met. And I started listening to um, a podcast called Potterotica and it was like it's not called that. It's not called right that anymore. anymore. I don't know what's called anymore, and we're not going to up because it doesn't it's, fucking that's matter. a lot of effort. Um, but it was basically like, these three hosts reading like fan fiction and like awful, la- awful fan Three, fic- yeah. Um, I got into podcasts that way, and Stephanie and I had just met. And hung out a lot and enjoyed hanging out together. And that's kind of what spurred this. But that was the podcast that got me into podcasts. So the podcast that got me into podcasts
1: actually was My Dad Wrote a Porno. Yeah. Which I obviously still listen to today. I see them live. I love them. But to
0: this day. That was was the inspiration actually for Panorotica. Yeah. So, we started this podcast for a very similar, like, from both sides, very similar reasons. And really just to hang out some more. Um, <laughs> at this point we in my life. We thought we were going to
1: be drunk. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: what we tried to do. It's bad. Um, at this point in my life, though, I pretty much only really listen to, like, Dissect by Spotify. I listen to I listen to, to Di- vale. I
1: listen to Dissect,
0: but on Apple Podcasts. Oh, I listen to Dissect on Spotify. Um, I listen to Welcome to Night Vale. I love Welcome to Night Vale. Um, Some of our, like,
1: friend podcasts that... Yeah, um, other podcasts that we don't have associations with that I really like. Obviously, My Dad Wrote a porno. Yeah. Um, All Songs Considered. So, a lot of what I listen to are music-based podcasts, Mm which I think you're... Almost in a similar boat. Like, um,
0: yeah. I listen to, like, music, music-based music podcasts that, like, dive into history or dive into, um, any kind of, like, learning. So I like finding new music, so I think that's why I'm so deeply
1: invested in All Songs Considered and the Tiny Desk Concerts. Mm-hmm. Um, I also listen a lot to, uh, This Must Be The Gig. Okay. Which is, um... A consequence of sound music vlog podcast okay. where they interview musicians. Um, I know you're into this
0: one as well. Uh, how did this get made? I do love How Did This Get Made. I also love Me Some G's and Manzougas.
1: Yeah, How Does it Get Made? I mean, I'm a big fan of Why Won't You Date Me, which is obviously the, the comedian Nicole Byers podcast. So like I think we're at a state in time where a lot of a lot of um, celebrities
0: pod- have their own podcasts. Yeah. Like if you think about like armchair expert, yep. armchair experts, um, armchair expert, uh, the Joe Rogan podcast is like the number one downloaded podcast. I mean, Mark Barron has his own podcast. Yeah. Um,
1: Fucking what what's his, what's his name. Chris Hardwick has his own podcast. Jonah Ray has his own podcast. Celebrities have their own podcast. Which is super
0: interesting because, like, like I said, up until podcasts kind of, like, blew up, you could listen to radio on the radio. hmm Or you could watch, like, Late Night. And those were, like, super entertaining. And podcasts have created this, like, environment where these artists and these stars can, like, create these shows for you where you don't have to watch TV. Like, you don't have to be fully engaged to really, like, be a part of it. Yeah. And, like, you can be partially engaged. You can, like, be doing multiple things and still enjoy what they're presenting to you. And I feel like that's, like, the really the benefit of podcasts is, like, as a millennial, like, being half-engaged. Like, I can be doing five other things and still enjoy this podcast yeah. because I'm listening to it, but I'm also doing other things and I don't need to be, like, watching the TV. I don't need to be, like, listening to what's happening because it is something that, like, doesn't require my full attention. And that's really why podcasts have blown up. I mean, a lot of people listen to podcasts while they're working out, while they're driving, while
1: they're getting ready in the morning, like, while they're getting ready
0: for bed. Like, yeah, it's... It's something. It's something to fill the space, fill the quiet, and it's also like hang. Like a lot of podcasts, it's like it's like instead of watching a TV show or watching whatever you want to watch, you can just listen to it and know that you're not really missing out on anything visual. Yeah. Like you, like I said, you can be I half mean, engaged. I, yeah. Because like you can be doing something else and listening to it, and you're not missing out on anything because it's just sound. That's why I really. I went through a phase in this last decade where
1: I mean, I've cut back on shows now, but like I was heavily into podcasts for like any time someone would like drop the name of a podcast, yeah. I was subscribing because I was like, "You know what? what do they listen to? I don't know i want I want to know what other people are hearing, and i I've gone through that with music as well, but yeah. Honestly with me music is music has taken the precedence. But but I, the
0: nice thing is with podcasts is like
1: but the same you can thing applies with out.
0: music is like you don't
1: have to pay that much attention. And I think
0: that's the difference between like coming to like a full circle here sound media versus like visual media. With sound media, you don't have to be fully engaged to still can. get to still feel yeah. like you have an engagement with it. Correct.
1: I agree. Wow, look at you taking things full circle. I, I like it. I always do this. Do you?
0: <laughs> you don't. Like 20% of the time. Mm, yeah, 20%.
1: Um, All right. But that
0: is a thing with sound media is because you are you can be engaged in other things and also be engaged in sound media. Yeah. Um, and I, I think we'll see a in the next episode, you'll hear a lot of different things based on that because visual media does require you to be fully engaged and that's like, or more or so more engaged. engaged. Yeah. Um, and I think that at this point probably covers it. So, um, to end this episode, I found a quote on, um, one of the many websites in this Google doc that Stephanie and I have, I can't remember which one. Um, but it says, and this, this is in reference to the 1975, but it pretty much covers in yeah, general. I would say it's applicable api- to
1: this everything, entire episode, everything we've, we've discussed.
0: Um, and it says, the 2010s were the decade in which the millennial came of age, not just as a generation, amorphous and difficult to define as they are, but as a set of values too. Compassion, inclusivity, driving for change, and not just defined by the boundaries of their predecessors. And I think that quote pretty much sums up the 2010s. and sums up millennials as a culture, as a group, and as a people. Um, I think it really sums up this episode. Explicitly
1: sums up the sound world. I agree. We'll come back to this quote, I guarantee, Mm -hmm. with our visual episode. But I think as a sound medium episode... You guys really can kind of understand based on what we've talked
0: about that yeah. this is as how it applies. a generation the 2010s were heavily driven by compassion, change, and inclusivity. Like including
1: I, your other music genres, including your other competitive artists. Yeah, like calling for a things.
0: racially charged change.
1: Absolutely there's no boundaries
0: about feeling things like there's there were no boundaries and i think that and the like having seen this quote it like really hit home and it was impressive how much like how accurate this was mm-hmm. um i think that that pretty much defines this in, this past episode like this entire however long this episode ends up being um really defines like what we've been talking about between inclusivity like the queer music genre that like, has grown. Um, to,
1: I, I think it, it explains how we started to how we've come to where we are today. Mm-hmm. Agreed. That was our episode. Yes, stay I think that covers
0: it. Tuned for final thoughts and listen to. Stay tuned for the visual half of. This decade wrap-up. Part two. Part two. Visual decade wrap-up. Hey, guys. Uh, so, for our final thoughts this week,
1: we thought it would be fun to compare what we think the... Common answer is going to be for musician, sound, media, person of the year versus our our own personal opinions Because obviously we discussed that we we live on the outskirts. Well, we live on the outskirts, but you and I both have different opinions from each other. So I thought it'd be interesting to sum it up with that. So if we're looking at like pop... Culture, music, news-wise, we see a lot of Kendrick Lamar, a lot of Kanye West, um, I've seen a lot of Frank Ocean, Beyonce, I think those are the main drivers, yes. which, um, they're actually a lot of the drivers, like we talked about, in the main pop culture, yes. like,
0: streaming-wise. Agreed. So, so for this episode for for this final thoughts piece knowing that those are like the pretty much stereotypical tops regardless of the fact of
1: alternative any other music genre yeah. we understand like hip hop has been a driver yeah. in the change of the music genre
0: so what would you say that outside of like what is being told to you mm-hmm. what is your number one good kid mad city Okay, Kendrick Lamar. Yeah,
1: I would say that is the top album of the year. I would argue that the top musician of not the year of the decade. I would argue that the top musician of the decade is either Tyler the Creator or Kendrick Lamar. So I I would say
0: hip hop has been the driver of the decade. A thousand percent agree with you. Um, I would say that my, it's either Tyler or Kendrick. Um, my album is probably going to be To Pimp, to Pimp a Butterfly. Um, and I agree with you. It's either Tyler or Kendrick. Um, Tyler, I feel like have like heavily towards because he,
1: like, We've understood his emotional change so much throughout I, the decades. So a I think you, the like, portion ride where you one.
0: almost understand it before he did. Yeah, like I feel like I like there's a point where like with Igor with Flower Boy, he started to like understand where he was emotionally, where he was. Um,
1: I think because
0: like, Tyler, sexually.
1: I would argue that
0: Tyler. You come along for the emotional yes. ride. With Tyler, you do come along. You come along for the ride, and you kind of know where he's going, but you're yeah. there with him, and you're growing yeah. with him. With Kendrick, he's bringing you into his world, and he's showing you something. Yeah. With Tyler, you're growing with him. With Kendrick, he's... You're following he's, him. You're following him, and he's, like, teaching you. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a big difference. Um, So I, just, I think for that reason, like... Because Kendrick is teaching me things that I like would have never thought and like would have never understood without that point of view. Well, I it's Kendrick for me. I would also say it's Kendrick for me, especially as a white
1: woman. Yeah. I No, I get it. I mean, I as a minority,
0: it's still Kendrick for me because it's a different experience. Yeah. Like, and as a minority, it's still a different experience, and I I appreciate that.
1: I think we agree
0: that in general... Artist of the Year is Kendrick Lamar. Our Artist of the Decade... Artist of the Decade, yes. It's Kendrick Lamar. I mean,
1: our Artist of the Decade is probably the vaccines, but like...
0: Our our legitimate Artist of the Decade is Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Kendrick Lamar. Lamar. Yeah.
1: What is your
0: podcast of the decade? Obviously... Welcome to Night Vale. Obviously, it's drunken and Uncultured. I was to say,
1: it's probably drunken and Uncultured, mm-hmm. but, like,
0: nah. Um, um, it's Welcome to Night Vale. I love that, like, creepiness. Yes. Mine's all songs considered from NPR. That's fair. I like how creepy Welcome to Night Vale is. Okay. On that note, this is the end of the episode.